Listeners, or do you think they appreciate the ambiance? I think I think they would appreciate just the raw realism that we're bringing into today's episode. Uh, yeah, with authentic sound design by Louis Fan. Yeah, so if you ever need a really loud fan recording for any of the work that you do, feel free to clip out this and uh, you know, just use it in whatever project you need it for. Yep. A minute okay, of no, silence for Louis, <laughs> Louis fan. Um, it's a good fan, it's a powerful fan. It hasn't broken down yet, which I appreciate in fans. A strong fan is the kind of fan that you would like. It's, it's exactly. preferable to a weak fan. I've had a few weak fans yeah. in my time, I'll tell you. Me too. Uh, and they just, they just break so easily because my room is hellish and needs a lot of fanning. So, oh, yeah. so I just push them to their absolute limits. I should become a fan tester. They should pay me to do that. You, yeah, they should. It's, tell me, is your fan ever actually not on? Uh, no. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. Even yeah, when I'm not here, I let that baby run, just to <laughs> just to test just it. to See make sure I'm getting go. my money's worth. You know. You don't want to be ripped off. No. And you know who cares about all the coal that's getting burned to produce the electricity to do that? Yeah, man. Not me. Definitely not today's guest. Whomst is nobody. We don't have a guest. So, but nobody doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> you know who doesn't care? Donald Trump. True bow, bow, bow. Uh, but I think we, we found we someone political. worse. We found someone worse yeah. than Donald Trump, which is the guy who now, uh, I think he's the president of Brazil, and he's now been uh, just been saying that he's just going to chop down the whole Amazon rainforest because reasons. Yeah, uh, Bolsonaro is known for saying some pretty insane things. He's an out-and-out actual admitted fascist. He, he said, yeah. like, the only problem with the dictatorial regime of Brazil was that it didn't kill enough people. Okay. Uh, which is concerning. People voted for this guy? Yeah, they actually, actually did. Wowee. And that brings us to the end of our go out and vote if it's your time to vote. Make a good well-informed choice which is the podcast that we do a lot of the time especially around uh, south african election times yeah that's gonna be really exciting i wonder which uh morally bankrupt party is going to make some gains which morally oh, yes. bankrupt party is going to maybe fall behind a little bit it's all it's all nail biting stuff it truly is and i feel it's going to be a close race this time do you think? I think it's going to be closer than it has been in the past. It's like progressively yeah. 
the parties are sort of gaining even footing. But yeah, yeah eventually it, it'll just be five parties, all who have 20%, and none who can form. Oh, hey, maybe we're headed for a coalition government. That would be nice, I think. Would it? But then look, I look at these people and I go like, man, I don't see any, any really good people uh, that I would like to vote for. But then maybe no. they could, out of spite in a co coalition government, they could just keep each other out of it. And then the South Africans mm. can go back to trying to build a strong country, man. Yeah, maybe we could have our own government shut down. That's not a good thing, though. Like, no, not the way that the U.S. is doing it. But that's not the podcast we're doing. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, that was our second A-side podcast, South African politics in review, sort of. Kind of uh, <laughs> now on <laughs> to our B-side, B-grade production. Be positive. The positive B-movie podcast. Be positive. With Yes, with your hosts, Fraser and Louis. Yep. I don't know why I said that as if I'm disappointed uh, that I'm on the show. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me of Adam's family, like Lurch just going like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'm Louis. Yes. Oh, that's better. That's better. I'm going to keep both. Yeah, stuff. no, that's totally fine. So how was your birthday, Louis? It was good. I, w I mean, I was at work. For most of it. Yeah, yeah. But I did uh, drink a little bit too much gin. So Ooh. that was nice. Yeah, I, I read an article online that said people who drink gin are sexy. And then... I oh, was really? Like, Is that because of the gin? Because hand me that bottle. Yeah, let me get in it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like a, a reverse hipster, by which I mean I only get into trends after they're gone. So like the oh, whole right, craft yeah. gin thing... I mean, I guess that's still ongoing to a sense, but now, you know, rum is starting to be a thing. And if yeah. I was a real hipster, I would, I would be on the rum train now. But I've just, yes. I, I go for the trends that are already dead. I feel like it's kind of like the villain from today's movie. Yes. Oh, I, I, oh, oh, I just remembered that we're supposed to be talking about movies on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> today, we are reviewing Night Drive. Made in 2010 by a company called Film Factory, local Joburger folks. Yeah, it's uh, the Film Factory written and directed by Justin Head, which saying it out loud is a weird name. Yeah, yeah, it kind of sounds like it's supposed to be happening just in your head. Uh, but that's over, that's reading too much into a name, I think. <laughs> that might be going a little bit too far. Yes, so Night Drive. Yeah. Shall I do a quick little run, runny rundown? Please do. Okay. So Night Drive follows the exploits of uh, Jack the Ranger, Akani, his faithful tracker. Okay. His son, Sean, who used to be an undercover cop but got uh, kicked off the force after he killed a civilian. Yeah. Real reckless. Loose cannon. <laughs> um, and they're all going on a night drive, which is a game drive that happens at night uh, with yes. a bunch of other tourists. We have a, like a richish young black couple who are very much in love. We have a old British couple celebrating their 
something's anniversary. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're just generally old British people celebrating. Which I guess is their right to do uh, until As Brexit comes British through, people. at least. True, true. And we have who's our last? Oh, that's uh, Ian and Karen, the troubled couple. Um, oh my God, those people! So they're going on this night drive, and they become the prey of a group of poachers known for not only stealing rhino horn or ivory, but also poaching people to use yes. their insides for black magic purposes. Yep. Well, that's just the setup. So most of the characters die off one by one, and then all at once to the poachers. Yes, and then all at once, which uh, I can't wait to so talk rough. about that. Yeah. There's a whole long sequence where Sean and Karen get captured. They break free. They get captured again. Uh, Jack gets captured. He gets out, uh, gets captured again, uh, gets Dies. killed. Eventually, Sean and Karen are the only remaining survivors. They defeat the hyena man, the local oh, witch yeah. doctor, mythical witch doctor, who is revealed to be Akani, the faithful tracker all along. Yeah, it is kind of like a Scooby-Doo plot with a lot of blood and death. I would say this movie falls into the category of slasher. Would you agree to that? Yeah, it is a slasher, but then it's also, it falls into like, a weird subgenre of like supernatural slasher but then mm. you know even though it ends up being you know it's just some guy who's been chopping off people's parts to use in black magic there's still the element that he is somehow supernatural so yeah yeah i guess it would be a slasher because all the they're all kind of like immortal and stuff yeah um i mean that's an interesting thing that the film does and it does it without really lingering on it or expounding on its implications. But the Muti is real. Yeah. The, the magic works in this yes. film. I think you know more about Muti and that stuff. And, and, and maybe you'll be able to tell us how the representation of it is in this film. Right. So I'm by no means an expert on Muti. I did only once do a documentary on traditional medicine in South Africa so from what I know like the Muti in this film it's different from what I was told uh, during my interview with Gogo Deneo because Muti is it's like a catch-all term for medicine so right like yeah something that takes your stomach ache away is a kind of Muti as well as something that you know could have potentially a supernatural effect so yeah the Muti being taken by, you know, people's genitals and what else was cut off? Like their Tongue, hearts. Tongue, uh, breasts, heart. I'm guessing liver. I don't know Probably. why, but that's just an assumption I'm making. It just feels like the liver should be involved there somehow. It's got his liver. It seems like a very powerful organ. It's quite literally what's keeping me alive. <laughs> <laughs> Muti could be made of like chopped up human parts i mean if it's used in some kind of magic ritual and whoever the black magic practitioner that's using this these body parts i guess it could be considered muti but then also cannibalism isn't rare in any uh folklore of witches 
Like if you look at like, yeah. European witches, they were known to steal ma men's penises and <laughs> keep them as pets. And then also to eat people and to eat babies yeah. and, you know, shit like that. So it's, it's basically yeah. a witchcraft movie, but it just South African witches. Yeah, there's a significant difference between this idea of a witch doctor and actual, you know, practicing Sangomas in, yeah. in South Africa. Big time. So I don't... <sighs> a Sangoma, from what I've, I've heard, is someone who uses the muti and the medicine to help people. And a witch doctor is someone who harms people using the muti or magic. Apparently, even if you just wish someone ill will, you're already like a witch doctor because you're, you're saying. Oh my God, I'm a witch doctor. Yeah, I guess it's probably if you already have power, like if you're like, a, uh, if, yeah, if you're, if you're hooked up that way. Um, <laughs> Damn. Yeah, uh, you missed your calling. <laughs> what we see in this film is not in any way really representative of Sangormas or traditional healers. But just from a Muti standpoint, yeah, they're using the term correctly, even though it's really uncommon, I guess, for this sort of thing to yeah, be that's, taken as Muti. I mean, Muti murders have occurred. Yeah. Th that is true. But I mean, it is so incredibly rare. And also then, okay, so, but then the fact is that it works uh, yeah. in this film, which kind of makes the killers less insane or irrational because they are actually getting benefit out of these rituals. Hmm, I don't know if it makes them less insane. Or, Just yeah, because your flavor of magic right happens way. to be real, it doesn't excuse you from eating people. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's still pretty taboo. If they were just praying in a circle and like dancing through the candles and whatever, and their magic was working, I'd be like, wow, that's really cool. But if I have to go out and murder people and chop them up and eat them to be able to cast a spell, I don't think, I mean, it's a lot of effort. But I mean, um, that's how you get the really powerful magic. That's what I heard. And I don't know if I heard it as a kid or if I heard it like from a, a reliable source. But I heard that like the reason why black magic Muti is so powerful is because while they're carving up the person for Muti purposes, I guess, the person is supposed to be awake and fully conscious and like suffering. Yeah. But that sounds like an urban legend. I don't know if, if that has any purchase in, in truth. I mean, it's all it's all urban legend, I guess. Yeah. But Jack the Ranger also mentions something like that. that yeah. The magic is more potent if the victim is alive. Yeah. So I guess it, it's a stereotype of this sort of legend of this local mythology. Yeah. It's also combined with some of the stories from Central Africa, North Africa, where yeah. soldiers are protected by these kinds of magics, you know, made to think they're invisible or bulletproof or whatever it might be. Yeah. So it combines that with South African Muti in like a sensationalized way. And yeah. then also the, the links with the poaching to the Eastern market for rhino horn and stuff, which also has a supposed medical slash supernatural power. Yeah. You can view this film as a metaphor for the poaching and killing of, you know, endangered species like the rhinos and, you know, even the elephants, uh, lions, can hunting, that sort of thing. But like, 
what they're doing in this film is they're saying like, oh, people are now being poached. This is why you should care. Where it's just assumed that people don't empathize with animals so much. So this could be a yeah. metaf- an attempted message, a subliminal message, if you will. I think definitely that's something the filmmakers had in mind. Maybe not, you know, at the front of their minds. Um, yeah. But there is definitely something in it about poaching and the, the systems of it. So I want to talk about Jack the Ranger because he is someone who has stood against this invisible force of the hyena man for so long that he himself has become pretty much insane and a highly dangerous psychotic individual. He bursts into his boss's office. That's our... Oh, no, actually, our introduction to him is him interrogating, torturing, and then setting on fire a captured poacher. Yeah, it does not paint a very flattering picture, and it kind of lets us know what kind of guy this is. He is extreme, he is a terrorist, and also he feels justified in his actions in being yeah, so no, incredibly no qualms. merciless and just vicious. Because at first, I was a little worried that the representations of people in this film would be a little one-sided. Um, yeah. Because we start on the hyena man giving the poachers their protection muti, yeah. feeding a human arm to a, to a hyena. I was like, oh god, okay, this is going to be trading in stereotypes. But then, yeah, then one of our heroes, quote unquote, just straight up sets a dude on fire. Just because the guy didn't feel like turning on his allies, I guess. But he was like, he was full on torturing the dude. Yeah. But what I like what the film did was that he is not made to be empathized with. Like his character is depicted as an extremist yeah definitely we follow up this burning with him going to his boss and demanding more funding for his war on poachers for the anti-poaching unit which is it's him and akani it's just two guys yeah so he's actually taken up more responsibility than i think he should have they should have reported the poaching to the proper authorities and maybe gotten some backup from the states or something Yeah, especially when they start finding human bodies. That's when it gets really concerning that the manager has not called in, like, wildlife services or, you know, Just someone someone. to report. The police. All the dead people on my farm. Uh, I'll get around to it. (laughs) They have this whole conversation about how the hyenas on the game farm are no longer scared of humans because they've eaten so much human flesh guys if that many people were dying in this game farm honestly it should not be open and it should be invaded by the military (laughs) someone with authority and a lot of guns instead the manager has decided to defund the anti-poaching unit because he doesn't want to scare terror uh boopsie (laughs) terrorists (laughs) He uh, he doesn't want to scare the tourists oh, away. Yeah. 
and he also drops at the end of their conversation that some people around the game farm are saying that Jack invented the hyena man to justify this single-minded crusade. And at times it does seem like he did actually because throughout the film hyena man is hinted at and sometimes we see images of someone dressed maybe in a way that would indicate he's more significant than the standard poacher but it's always just like we see his feet or maybe a shoulder and like a shuffle of fucking fur and flappy things on his outfit the film does suggest that maybe hyena man is just jack's imaginary friend well there is uh one of the reveals at the end that shows that jack did literally create the hyena man or at least a hyena man There's a point when Sean is captured and the hyena man is about to start just chopping that dick up and Dad X Machina appears. Yeah. (laughs) Because Jack drops out of the movie, like, I think about 25 to 30 minutes in where he's like, I'm going to go check it out. And he just fucking walks away. (laughs) He just leaves everyone. Which again shows like, how he doesn't care about anything except killing these poachers. Like, he doesn't care about his son or these random poor terrorists. About an hour later, he reappears to, to save his son. He shoots the hyena man and takes his mask off to reveal that it was the guy he burned in the opening. Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy and how extremism on one side can lead to extremism in whoever that side chooses to victimize. If you're going to burn someone while you're freaking out and searching for hyena man, maybe that person's gonna survive and come for revenge and be like, well, fucking you wanted it. It's hyena man. Or maybe that person's father, who is the, I guess, main hyena man? The real (laughs) hyena man. Is the father of the guy he burned. And turns out to be a Connie. It's like 50% of the anti-poaching unit. Yeah. Someone who Jack refers to as his friend. There's actually a, a nice little exchange between Akani and Jack. Mm-hmm. Right in the end where the poachers capture Jack. Is it? He comes face to face with the real hyena man who is now revealed to be Akani. You know, he tells him like he thought he was his friend. How can he betray him like this? And to think I called you friend. <laughs> and then Akani just pointing out to him that like this was never a friendship. This is like a, a weird power play racial thing. Like their whole yeah. employment and the whole portrayal of their profession or of this game farm. In a way, it's keeping racial stereotypes or, or racial... The economic and social stations that South Africa's racist history has consigned people of certain races to. What we have in South Africa is systemic racism, where the racism yeah. is inherent in the system and like the system needs to be changed. Clearly, things have not really changed that much at Nyari Game Farm. That's also a statement that Hyena Man is making in this and in a way they're trying to really humanize him and for a film's villain I think that that's a good choice. Get your audience to empathize with a villain because then you are forced to critically analyze the heroes of the film like Jack he's played off as a hero but dude's a terrorist he's probably one of the more extreme people in the film he's right up there with the cannibal poachers yeah so in fact he and Akani have quite a lot in common if their goals were aligned they would have been friends 
But it's all a bit funny because Akani's whole thing here with trying to kill Jack and Sean and all the tourists for good measure is that this is to avenge Jack's attempted murder of his son. Yeah. But that only happened like two months ago. Did it? Was it so that recent? It was. It says two months later. It, the titles fade in. I didn't see that. Wow, okay. So I don't know what exactly is the animosity that led Akani to becoming the hyena man in the first... Or was he just always the hyena man? I guess man? he was always maybe there as a practicing black magic witch doctor type character. But maybe he just didn't really take the hyena man thing so seriously until, until this vengeance angle came in. And he was like, okay, cool. I need a symbol. I want to be like Batman. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring uh, Batman up in every um, single episode. Bat I don't know how I've managed. I really want to see you do that. <laughs> um, I'll remind you. So there might be something interesting in, in the fact that, okay, so Akani maybe was just a main poacher because, uh, you know, being on the anti-poaching unit, he's got the inside line. Yeah. He can always be one step ahead and he can make a shit ton of money selling people's organs and animal parts to whatever markets yeah. will take them. And maybe the myth or the mythos of the hyena man is Jack's invention and Akani started taking it yeah. on to kind of embody Jack's greatest fear. To use it against him as a psychological weapon. Yeah. Jack does sort of sculpt his own personal hell. That's what I meant with like a self-fulfilling prophecy is, sure, maybe there were poachers, right? But his escalating the situation eventually led to murders and killings. What I want to talk about is the people that are being cut up for Muti, because in the film we see mainly tourists, but the yes. actual people who are always being cut up and who are the regular targets are, as Jack puts it, refugees. Yeah. But then I doubt whether the refugee situation was ongoing the whole time, because Jack apparently has been going on about the hyena man since forever, since he started working at the lodge. Yeah, I mean, there's some weird time fuckery because Akani mentioned that he's been his tracker for 10 years. Yeah. But they all talk about the farm as if they grew up there. For instance, yeah. Sean's mom's dying wish was to have her ashes scattered at home, in her words, so on the game farm. Yeah, and then Sean and Akani also have kind of a, hey, I haven't seen you since you were a boy relationship. Yeah. But it doesn't actually seem like Akani and Jack have been working together for that long. I mean, 10 years could be a long time. For all we know, Sean, even though he looks like mid-30s, the actor, Sean could just be <laughs> like a 24-year-old cop who just... Like a very yeah. early detective who then proceeded to fuck it up and murder someone while killing it someone happens. else. Okay, sorry, we <laughs> So what I'm saying is that the refugee situation that's happening yes. now couldn't be like ongoing forever without the manager knowing that there would be refugees because the the manager is openly dismissive of the whole concept of refugees on the game farm. Yeah, which I think at this point we have to just assume that that's willful on the manager's part. He's he's trying to ignore and or cover this up in order to keep his business afloat. Is that even a wise business choice? If you no. actually think about it, Morally, it's completely bankrupt, but then it is if you think about it just in terms of the money Wouldn't it be better to just deal with the refugee situation and then 
be able to go back to business without any sort of risk and then especially deal with the poachers yeah i mean dealing with the poachers is probably the best i don't know how they would deal with a refugee situation since that has to do with what's happening you know wherever they're coming from but maybe there's a way to get to them earlier so they don't die of thirst and starvation and yeah. mutilation on his property. Maybe set up some kind of a service to greet them and maybe help them to a place where they can be legally integrated into society. If they are refugees, yeah. they might need medical attention. They might need... But no, Fraser. <laughs> this place is a tourist attraction. Oh my god. Yeah. We only care about tourists. If they're not paying. <laughs> Yeah, so the usual victims of these awful crimes are the refugees, the poorest people in the universe. As, um, as usual. The most vulnerable. That's always the way it is, though. Yeah, and in fact, one of the inciting incidents is the group of tourists discovering the mutilated body of uh, one of these aforementioned refugees. A woman who we see hunted down by the poachers in a very slasher-esque way. Yes, very tight, shaky cam. That's actually that's one of my New Year's resolutions for the podcast, to talk more about the technical stuff, All the right. camera work and so the film is shot a lot of it is shot in very very tight close-up and quite shaky handheld camera mm -hmm. which you know even though we're out in the open we're in in the great wide felt the use of the camera makes it feel very claustrophobic very threatening yes and then especially at times of extreme terror the lens takes on a subject of quality where I don't really know what the technical term for it is, but the focus gets very tight in a sense. So it's like things are just kind of blurring in and out. I don't know what the technical term is, but it would be focus pulling. Yeah, I'm, that's yeah, that's that's what they did anyway. So, you know, where things are in really strong blur and a little bit of the image is strongly focused and it kind of shifts yeah. around and it makes it creates quite a disorienting feeling yeah and they use that while this poor woman is is running for her life she also is the one to recreate the famous scene from lord of the rings where they're sitting like under a tree root yeah at a little cliff i don't want to call it a cliff but like a i think it's like a, a ditch a divot yeah a depression where you know tightly pressed against the rock face and kind of oh, is finding me while the person is standing above them yeah and with this one the person also literally like tr tries to sniff her out yes but um, unfortunately he doesn't have a nazgul's nose because he doesn't he's like just a human being and we really can't smell all that well so a great homage to the Peter Jackson yeah. classic there. It actually happens twice. They, they yeah, do it, it does. twice. Uh, later on when Sean and Karen are running from the poachers, they too hide in the same like divot or whatever. I think that's a really, really brave... And it's not the same divot, it's a different divot, but it's uh, the same... Same shot. ...setup same, and the same yeah. angle, yeah. Which I think is really brave of the filmmakers to decide to not only steal an iconic scene from one of the most seen films ever made, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but to use that same scene twice. Yeah. It just really, really puts your attention on it. It just yeah. it grabs you and it tells you, remember, remember Lord of the Rings? But it is like, 
a highly effective shot, but mainly the first time you see it. By the second time, it's like, okay. We're doing this one again. I see we're back here, huh? They do have kind of a fake out where they're hiding and it's like, oh God, he, oh, he's gonna come get us. And then the guy walks away a bit and then she cries and the guy turns back. Oh yeah. And then he's like, oh, it was probably just the wind. <laughs> yeah. Walks away again. And then they're like, oh, wow, okay, thank goodness, we're safe. And then, kablam, the guy's hand comes out and grabs Karen by the face. Sort of saying that that trick wouldn't work twice. I guess that's why they used the scene twice. It's it's kind of a... It's fulfilling that, that nervous tension that was built in the original scene, where... Yeah. You know, is are they going to get her? Are they going to let her go? Second scene, you get to see what happens when they get get her. I guess it's satisfying as a viewer. <laughs> <laughs> this film, I don't, uh, it has this weird pattern of escalating things to a point where it becomes really comical. Yeah. You picked up on that uh, as well, right? I'm not insane. There is like a frantic nature to some of the confrontations and it would do well with some Benny Hill music. <laughs> <laughs> first point that I noticed it at is when they discover the murdered refugee, which I think there's something interesting with Karen. She walks away from the group to go take her sleeping pills in the forest and kill herself. I mean, uh, but she's established as having tried to kill herself once before with the thick bandages around her wrists. Yeah. And she has a conversation with her cokehead husband, Ian, about just still being depressed and having a tough time getting over it and all this stuff. So at one point she decides, fuck it, I'm going to kill myself. Goes into the forest, takes all her sleeping pills, turns around and sees the body and pukes up all the pills. And, yeah. you know, thereby kind of unintentionally saving her life. Yes. And I think there's something interesting in that where she might thinks, she might thinks, Lloyd, um, <laughs> she might think that she wants to die. Yeah. But when she confronts the physical reality of death, that kind of romanticized notion of uh, suicide slips away and she no longer wants to die because she sees what it actually looks like. Yeah. But then every single other person in the cast has to fucking wander up to the corpse and have their own little <gasps> shock yeah. reaction. Yeah, it and is it's kind happens of like... like seven times in a row and it's like, fuck, okay. It gets old, it's like it's drawn out. One person could have that reaction, but I guess like other people can just gasp silently. No, we need every single one to have a unique reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, but that's fine. If you're going to show everyone reacting, they need to be unique. Yeah. But that's what I meant is like, it They're... kind of pushes the one thing happening to a point where it becomes pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Look, this film was actually incredibly entertaining. As far as a B-movie goes, had a good time. yeah, this was a really fun film. It's like, it's gonna go up on my list of golden oldies. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely up there with something like Troll 2. Yes. But then it's well made, like it's it's well shot and it's well put together and... It's really well shot, it's like the grading is good, the yeah. sound mixing is good. Definitely technically a, a, a well executed film. It's a funny film, like the, it's horror but it's it ends up being accidental horror comedy. My favorite of the bizarre escalations happens while they're fireside. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so they they were driving home because uh, you know Jack had wandered off, and Sean has taken it upon himself to just drive them back to the lodge. And the car breaks down because one of the poachers cut the something that makes the engine explode. Like an hour later. Yep, that's a thing cars have. It's actually a button at the bottom that you can press, and that initiates right. the one-hour self-destruct. Okay, that's the great. Engine, yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, I know uh, about cars. I'm thank you for your technical expertise. Anytime. The rover breaks down, and they make a little fire at the side of the road, waiting for management to come get them. And to me, one half of the lovey-dovey couple wants to go pee, and she walks like a fucking kilometer into the bush to go yeah. pee really just like just outside of the the circle of light of just the fire would have been behind totally fine. the car partially obscured behind yeah. the car would be fine or would have been perfect <laughs> yeah really trying but to i get guess killed. it was necessary for the poachers oh, um, true, true. so she and her boyfriend go into the forest or bush well her boyfriend's very reluctant and at first he's not coming with her he's like yeah, <laughs> he's, you do yourself man uh you don't need me to pee babe like you'll be okay whatever yeah the others have to guilt him into going so then obviously they get fucking attacked obviously viciously hyena manned and the others hear the scream ian yanks out the handgun that he brought oh along God. on this coke fueled night drive <laughs> Then <laughs> Sean, not for the first or last time, tells him to calm down. Um, oh, this then scene. there's a confrontation where he threatens to shoot Akani if he doesn't go into the forest. Akani goes, then he points the gun back at Sean. Then Sean pulls out like, hey, you're on drugs. I know you're on drugs. I'm going to, I'm a cop. I know all the cop technical words. terms for all the crimes you've done. I've got a flashlight in your eyeballs. And he's just about to take the gun, then they hear another scream, or they hear something in the bushes, then Toomey comes out with her arm cut off. Yes. And like a, a latex chest piece that I think is supposed to illustrate some other injuries as well. They can't help her, she dies. <laughs> Ian still got the gun, Jack like tries to take the gun from him, they have he a does. fight. He does take the gun from him but he knocks Ian to the ground in the process. And then while he's trying to, uh, I guess, militarily deconstruct the weapon. Yeah, he does a chick, 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 chick Yeah, he thing. starts playing with it. And Ian comes through with a spear tackle and they start rolling around on the floor, yeah. smacking each other. So they're fighting each other and uh, Roger wants to hit Ian with a big stick. But then he gets a fucking heart attack. Yes, because it was established that he does have a dicky ticker. Uh, not there yeah, where it's Yeah, he does mine. have a dicky ticker. <laughs> he has a heart attack. Fucking Sean has to save him. Ian goes back to the truck, grabs the gun again, yeah. goes into the bushes, tries to shoot a bush monkey. Then they have another fight. After Sean miraculously gets Roger's heart started again, they just go right yeah. back at it. They go back at it, and just as uh, as they're about to exchange words again, you hear the the squelching sound of a machete entering Ian's back, and we Classic. have like a solid minute of Karen just going, "Ian, <laughs> what? Talk to me. What's wrong, Ian? Ian, say, babe, your words. What's wrong? Why are you so quiet? <laughs> what's with your <laughs> odd facial expression, Ian?" Ian, can why is you there hear me? the blood coming out of your mouth, Ian? What's, What's this, wrong? Why, 
your what? your nipples look all weird. Why are they coming out your stomach? And they're so long, Ian. Did you did you have a machete for lunch? <laughs> Ian, please. Um, so Ian gets fucking shanked. Yeah, Ian's gone. Um, and it takes everyone else forever to see this, even though there's clearly a dark shape behind him. Anyway, yeah. Um, while he's getting shanked, he fucking fires the gun accidentally as his killing off all the rest of the characters. Spasms. Oh my god. <laughs> just like one by one. <laughs> yeah, he just Perfect blasts headshots. Mary away. Um, oh my god, it was so hilarious. Um, but in that scene, like they're also paying homage to the Predator. Because Predator oh, yeah? also walks up behind people, and then he's got the two little the two swords coming out of his wrist. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah, like yeah. he like also shanks people from behind in that way. And in the scene, the fucking hyena man looks like the Predator. He's also got two yeah. machetes going through Ian. So kind of recreating that stabbing motion. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is <laughs> it's. It's, you know what comedy is, a misdirection of expectation, and they really pulled it off in this, because I was yeah. not expecting Ian to just straight out wipe out the cast in one fell swoop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he caps Mary, and Sean and, and uh, Karen start running away, and they just fucking leave poor Roger there. He they, the yeah. just had a heart attack. Yeah. But that's that's very honest. They're like, you know what? Fuck, he's probably dead anyway. Let's get yeah. the hell out of here. Once Ian started firing that gun, I think everyone just assumed his, his heart finally <laughs> just gave out the second time and it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I love that scene. I watched it like three times. Uh, I was crazy about that. Because it just also, it goes on so long. Sean never gets the gun. He has it for like five minutes, then he puts it in the truck, and then Ian just stands up and goes and gets it back. He does end up with the gun while him and Karen are fleeing from Naina man. But then I don't know how. No, that's not his gun. You know what that's that is? That's gun. his dad's. His dad uh, hands him on. But then again, Sean's like, I don't need no gun. I know karate. <laughs> So he like once he gets to his dad who died, he just puts the gun down on his head. Like it's almost like he's making like a temporary burial place for his his old man. Yeah. He does it very reverently. He puts the gun down. He's like, now you may rest, fallen terrorist. Yeah, it's great because he takes off his biker jacket to drape over his father's corpse, mm -hmm. and he he doesn't have a shirt on anymore at this point. It was ripped off by Hyena Man Junior. Yeah. So in that moment, he just transforms like action hero. Now now I'm topless, which means I'm extra dangerous. Nips out. I don't know. <laughs> Nips out. Dips. I out. guess like I think it was the actor saying like, listen, I got fucking ripped for this role and it's completely wasted. There's just one scene where I have my top off fighting a punching bag. Yeah. We need more abs. Yeah. Otherwise I'm walking. It's in my contract. At least five minutes of ab time. Oh yeah. It does fill a stereotype of guys fighting. I've seen this yeah, happen. And they always take off their shirts. They always take off their fucking shirts and scream at each other for a while. <laughs> and I've like, yeah, I, yeah. I used to manage a bar in um, Bramfontein. And I saw this happening one yeah. night outside the bar. We had like 
a physical confrontation. And as the bar, we got it out onto the street and then we were trying to encourage them not to continue, but also not physically sure. getting involved as to endanger ourselves or the other, like my well, colleagues. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. You can't fucking do it. And then these dudes were screaming at each other. And then like, it seems like the situation gets de-escalated. And then one takes off his shirt and it's just right back up. And it's like, now it's happening. The other one takes off the shirt and then they just start smacking each other's muscles. It was a very, very odd fight. But this is where it comes from, from these action films where someone like contractually needed ab time. And they're not, they're not like thinking rationally. Yeah, my character would take off his shirt to fight. You know, I put a lot of work into these abs and I would like people to pay attention to them. (laughs) Of course. Look, if I had that body, I would never wear a shirt. Not even in the winter. No, never. Yeah. Not even at work. (laughs) Well, I mean, then become an actor because especially at work, you're required to not have a shirt on. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess that's Sean's, that's like a transformational moment for him because then he becomes like fucking ultimate warrior man. He kind of becomes like Batman. Oh, that's twice now. (laughs) The poachers are using Karen to mule stuff to the border. And then, well, it's unclear. At one point, Jack says, as soon as they get to the border, she's toast. Yeah, which is weird. It's, it's never truly explained why Karen has to carry stuff because when she eventually collapses, one of the poachers just casually picks up the stuff that she was carrying and just like yeah. pops it over his shoulder and strolls on. I like mean, it doesn't weigh anything. I guess I think it's, it's about torture. just being cruel. Yeah, just wearing her down. Jack thinks... Uh, they're gonna kill her when they get to the border, but Mr. Hyena Man says, I know a man in Maputo who'd pay good money for a girl like you. Yeah. So she's she's being trafficked, in fact. And that is actually something that we can see where there's some overlap between reality and the sort of demi-reality that the game farm exists in where human trafficking is a massive issue in the world where like supernatural slashers aren't all that much of a reality yeah it it definitely feels like the filmmakers were going on okay what what contemporary issues can we touch on yeah yeah what can we use to really hammer home that this dude is not a good guy and i mean i guess it works but it was easy for me to miss that because it's one line it's not like a big plot point he's got a lot of different enterprises he's he's an entrepreneur hustling Maybe that's the critique of this film. Well, I mean, it's tough making it in South Africa, man. Especially, like, in the more rural areas, it's, it's, it's really tough. You, you gotta hustle. Gotta rise and grind, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're mewling Karen, conveniently all walking in a little row. And Sean rambos in, chops a machete into the one guy's head, then leaves the machete, runs after the other one, literally yells, Kya! Yep. And fucking karate chops the shit out of him. Yeah. He grabs his gun, shoots the other dude. He has his little Rambo moment for real there. I did say he does kia his way through some poachers. That's what I was saying. Like, this is classic 80s fucking action movie where he doesn't need a gun because his fists are registered yeah. deadly weapons. 
Well, that's the thing. He's taken the shirt off. Now there's no stopping him. There is no stopping. He's more aerodynamic now. That's white people, Muti. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the male nipple exposed. Yes. And then we get to, I, I think, Sean's emotional climax of the film, where Akani is holding Karen with his machete to her throat. And Sean flashes back to when he was in a similar situation with Chang, his, I guess, like poached rhino horn purchaser. Yeah. Where he had accidentally also killed the hostage, uh, which is why he, he was expelled from the police force. Well, he was on drugs at the time. He was. Yeah, he, he got drugged. He was fed some kind of a hallucinogenic drug. It's called uh, Serpent's Kiss. Yeah. Serpent's Kiss. A very good name for what essentially seems to be snake venom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't just call it literally venom. Uh, uh, technically true if it was venom. So he's looking at this situation and he's flashing back to the other one. He sees Chang holding Karen. It all gets a bit muddied. And then he shoots Akari. This time he is not on drugs and he can aim... It end up, ends up being a nice catharsis for him, I guess, because this time he does get to save the day. But it's, you know, it feels weird to me. Yeah, because it's like There's he's... Something... It's played off as his moment of redemption. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's not entirely morally justifiable what happens. Yeah, he doesn't, like, redeem himself to the police force... He doesn't repair his relationship with his father. It's just that this time he he shoots good. All the events of that night hardened him to be a more accurate gun person. Yeah. Karen also goes through a similar situation where it's revealed that she was raped. And that's kind yes. of what triggered her depression. But then while she's held captive by the poachers, she actually, one of the poachers attempts to rape her. And by virtue of Sean rushing in and getting just really fuck, getting fucking hanged. up his first attack. Oh, it was so terrible. Like, but she does manage to escape and to sort of fend off her attacker. Yeah, and she does stab him right in the peen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She does kind of come full circle and she gets some catharsis. Yeah. She gets to face and conquer her demons in a way, which yeah. I'm sure... And she, she kind of rediscovers her will to live. The experience of being in an extreme survival situation really does tend to uh, remind you that your body really doesn't want to die. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention. Okay, so in the beginning, our good, good friend Sean drinks Serpent's Kiss out of a glass with a little snake on it. Yes. He's got a big old snake tattoo. Yeah. And the scar running over his father's eye is like a serpent's tongue scar. So I thought, oh wow, there's so much interesting snake symbology happening here. I wonder I wonder where they're going with that. I wonder what the reveal is going to be to to justify all this snake stuff. I thought Sean would transform into Snake Man to battle Hyena Man. Mm, fuck, that would have been good. That would have been so dope. That's a sci-fi movie. That would be amazing. S-Y-F-Y. So, but I mean, those are kind of the two animals that we get throughout this is, is snake and hyena. What do you think the hyena represents in this film? 
I think the hyena represents, um, because the hyena is the scavenger. It's not really a, a big time hunter. It's not going to try and take down a kill when it's really there to feed on carrion. That's their main behavior. Yeah. So in that way, I guess the hyena imagery can be suggestive of a people that live on the edge of society, that sort of live off, you know, the, uh, the, the stragglers of society or the weak and the downtrodden. Yeah, kind of marginalized, disliked, feared, but to a lesser degree than, for instance, a lion or something. Yeah, yeah. It's and, not going to uh, come kill you, but like, if given the opportunity, it will eat you. Yeah, and I get, yeah, that's also something, right? Like, just that they're, they're kind of symbolically ravenous and uh, undiscerning in what they eat. Also, they're laughing, so it, it suggests a kind of madness. I've got to say, I really, I liked the hyena laughs in this film. It, it's the perfect acoustic backing to, to the murders. Yeah, it replaced a space usually filled by synths and like really mm. tight atmospheric music where in this there's there's not really music it's it's just the the raw power of the primal reaction you get when you hear hyenas and it's very effective. Yeah, that works. I mean there is music but the music is pretty boilerplate action stuff what i'm saying is in the scenes where there's hyena laugh there isn't music yeah yeah yeah. it kind of fills in as the background background muzak yeah the hyenas in in my mind being more effective than the instrumentation the snake though i don't know what the the snake imagery is meant to imply though because it's not explored very well in the film yeah it, it comes up and then just goes away it's it's like something that they maybe wanted to do but never got around to fleshing out that's pretty much all i had to say about night drive wait wait, wait. Uh, there are a couple more things that i want to point out this is the b positive trans- tradition flash round flash uh, round with louis some things out here we that's, go. That's what it is. <laughs> TM, TM, TM. So at one point, uh, while Jack is talking to the manager about why are, you, why are you doing this to me? Anti-poaching is my life. The manager tells Jack, take a break, get some perspective. And Jack is constantly kind of compulsively flicking his lighter open and, and lighting it and closing it, that kind of yeah, compulsive yeah, yeah. behavior. But when the manager does that, he tries to light the lighter like three times and it just doesn't take. And there's maybe some kind of the lighter is standing in for his willpower at that point where he he doesn't have the power to fight yeah then how incredibly difficult it is to get the gun away from ian even after he's shown that he has no proficiency with firearms yeah clearly a representation of ian's intense castration anxiety yep does not want that phallic symbol taken away from him because he feels super impotent because he can't make his wife be not depressed anymore. Yeah, and he feels to a degree guilty for not being able to protect her from home invaders and then rape. And he had a gun in his mouth as well. So there's a lot of those kinds of fears of emasculation. Symbolic castration. Oh, I want to mention the British couple celebrating their anniversary. At one point, they're breaking and everyone can get out and stretch their legs a little bit. These guys brought a whole fucking table two chairs <laughs> a tablecloth a fucking vase of flowers a bottle of champagne glasses like they literally set up a whole little campsite yeah 
in the middle of their night drive. Everyone else is just fucking sitting on the ground. They, like real British colonialists, yeah. come in and start immediately acting like they own the place. They mention like, ah, oh, so this is Africa. I can't believe we've finally made it. Africa. Classic. And, and they're wearing like a very, you know, very chic and contemporary update of old school colonial outfits. Yeah. Which I think was a, a very nice little touch. Oh, there's one scene where, the, uh, where Ian is trying to do cocaine, but he gets a fright and spills some cocaine on his hand. And then he just shakes it off. I don't think there is a cokehead in the world who would spill cocaine on their hand and then just shake it onto the ground. That is definitely a sign that the actor isn't a true cokehead, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, <laughs> congrats to the actor who played Ian. And that's it. That's what I had to say right. about this film. Okay, well, I guess that's it for a flash round with Louis. Uh, Louis's flash TM, dance. TM, TM, TM. Louis flashes you. So, Louis. If you had to rate Night Drive, 2010's yes. gem Night Drive, out of one to two hyena men, <laughs> how many hyena men would you give Night Drive? Um, I'm going to give this film a very solid hyena man junior. Okay. A little bit of burns on the face. A little bit lucky to escape <laughs> being petrol burned. He healed incredibly well and incredibly he quickly did yeah but also like when he was set on fire he was halfway in a river so maybe he just rolled into the river like I five mean, seconds later that would have been my plan yeah if i were him and maybe that's what he did but you know psychologically didn't end up so well uh i would give it a solid yeah. two hyena men and wow. what i was truly expecting like by the end a third even older hyena man Grand, <laughs> happy hyena man. <laughs> In the rich family tradition uh, of hyena men. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning That's in. That's it. We have received a bunch of reviews on iTunes. We're, we're up to six five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much. Oh, my yeah. God. That's incredible. Thanks, yeah. guys. Keep the five-star reviews coming in. If you want us to do a specific film or you want to request a specific topic or a genre, let us know. Anything like that. If you want to make corrections or if you want to say anything in addition to what we say, also please uh, slip right into our DMs. Our DMs can be found on Twitter at Stay Scary and on Facebook at, at Stay Scary. You can always find us on there. We are very responsive and good with animals. We don't poach. And you know what? Send, send us pictures of your pets. Why not? Send us pictures yeah. of your beautiful baby animals. That'd be great. And we'll also post pictures of our pets because I am missing my dog back home. Oh. Oh, it's sad, but you could make me feel better with your dogs. Yay, on the internet. I'll, I'll definitely post a pic of, of Lil Hugo. Such a cutie. And then, as always, you stay scary. As always, the spookiest dog is the dog that laughs. True. I've been Louie. And I've been Fraser. And you've listened to <laughs> Be Positive. Be Positive. The positive B-movie podcast. Uh, B-movie podcast, yes. <laughs> uh, just right here at the tail end, I would like just to urge all my South African fellow people to register to vote. If you're going to do anything, 
like at least vote. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. I don't care who you vote for, but just do it. If you're an expat, registration is from the 1st to the 4th of Feb, and oh. you can do it apparently at any South African missions abroad, which I'm not entirely sure what that means. I'm hoping it means embassies, consulates, etc. Because there's apparently a lot of not actual missions like church missions. Yeah, yeah, or like secret spy missions. I don't think you can register to vote yeah. spies. Although there, I don't think South Africa does that sort of thing. Like, would we know? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, South Africa used to do, do a lot of dodgy. Things. I think we probably still do. Yeah, probably. I, I think it's it's tough to.